I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to talk a little bit about the latest news concerning vaccines. Also, the big pause this week with Facebook. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with our Jesus Worldview Initiative. So it's going to be a good show. And then later on in the pod, Autumn and I sat down with Stephen Reeves and Elkit Rodriguez from Fellowship Southwest, and we discussed their lace, their most recent trip down at the southern border and all the good work that's going on with immigrants uh, among the local churches down there. So it's going to be a good show, so stay tuned. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out. By Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. By Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come, wherever books are sold. Autumn, it's good to be back. I had a week off. You did. And I just have to tell you that Starlet and I had to take down the No Boys Allowed sign in the podcast <laughs> loft so that you could climb climb aboard today. <laughs> well, we I, had a good time. I know. I heard the episode. You guys are rock stars. I may just have to step back and let you two take it. No, we need you on here. It was just, it was nice. I was so glad that she was able to hop on and, and be with me, but we're glad that you're back. Well, it's good to be back. Um, you know, I, I took a pause a little bit, uh, had to spend some time with some incredible pastors last week uh, for the entire week. Uh, we were uh, just sitting around talking about their ministry, uh, talking about the last 18 months uh, during the pandemic. And one of the issues that we discussed was our Jesus Worldview initiative that we're really excited about. And our attempt to bring the church's conversation back to Jesus. Now, I know that sounds weird, Autumn. but There's uh, a thought, Mitch. <laughs> it sounds strange, but we think that uh, you know the, the next uh, era of the church should be centered around on Jesus. What do you think? I mean, we are Christians, so <laughs> that, could, that could be a, a good concept. You know, I loved in your column from today, you talked about um, just conversations that you've had, theologians who you've read, Baptist people who you admire, and talked about how people can really misconstrue the Bible and bend it. I mean, Mitch, I grew up in Waco. Like, I know how people can corrupt the Bible into saying whatever they want it to say and be very manipulative. But when you apply the Jesus love filter onto the Bible, that's when the magic happens. That's, that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it does sound really strange for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers uh, to recenter ourselves around the teachings and life of Jesus. But let's think about this for a moment. And in my column, I address this uh, at uh, goodfaithmedia.org that uh, I quote Phyllis Tickle. Uh, Phyllis uh, recently passed away. She was an incredible theologian and thinker, uh, a prophet uh, among us, uh, just really, really well-versed and had a lot of great things to say. And and, uh, in her book, The Great Emergent, she talks about historically that about every 500 years, uh, the church goes through what she calls a rummage cell, uh, that we just basically unpack everything and reorganize everything. And All the Tupperware lids <laughs> got like lost from their bottoms. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, she walks us through it. She, she talks about the first uh, era of the church. Um, you know, being this this time of, of persecution and growth and trying to find ourselves, and then uh, the conversion of Constantine, the Roman emperor, uh, converts to Christianity, and it was somewhat of a golden age for Christianity because it went from this uh, outlier uh, religion to the main religion of the West. Uh, it was probably the best and worst thing that ever happened to Christianity in my opinion. Uh, and so that lasts uh, until the next era, which uh, brought division between the East and the West. Uh, you had the Roman, Roman Catholicism rise in Western Europe and even Eastern Orthodox uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, and so it was the Great Schism, Great Divide. And then, of course, uh, 500 years later, you had this little uh, monk and nail his 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. 
Martin Luther and the Reformation unfolds, and you had further division among the church. Well, each of these periods kind of centered around what one believed, uh, what one thought about theologically and how you practice your faith. There are those of us who are advocating, I really have to give props to my colleague, our colleague, uh, Johnny Pierce, uh, who's been advocating for this Jesus worldview instead of a biblical worldview, because you hear a lot of rhetoric these days centered around a biblical worldview. Well, the problem with a biblical worldview is that you can pretty much make the Bible say anything you want it to say if you take it out of context. And so, ask David Koresh. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, growing up in Waco, uh, did you, you know— you didn't grow up in David's house, did you? <laughs> I did not. Um, I did not, but I remember it vividly. I bet. You know, when that whole story broke down. Yeah. And it just sort of makes you, there's something in the water there along the, the Brazos <laughs> River. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, well, Johnny is advocating and arguing that we need to return, the church needs to return to Jesus, which I, I know just sounds crazy. But I, I think he's exactly right. And that. Uh, hopefully the next 500-year period that we're entering into uh, will be a time where we concentrate our theology and our practice of faith around the person that we call Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the standard for which we live, and he had a lot of incredible things to say. He did a lot of incredible things, but what he advocated more than anything was this boundless, endless love, love of God and love of neighbor, and those two cannot be separated. So my hope is the next 500 years is going to be about love. Autumn? It would be great. I think it would solve a lot of the problems that we are all like have our eyes on. We're like, oh, this is the problem, and, and the answer is just to love people through it and be inclusive and to, you know, make the extend the table longer instead of putting up a reserved sign. Absolutely. Well, we've got news in the pandemic world these days. Uh, some good news, finally, uh, with uh, yes. the numbers decreasing. Uh, we got news about uh, the vaccine for children. So share us a little, or tell us a little bit about uh, what you learned this morning. Pfizer officially asked the FDA to approve its vaccine for children five years and up. And so, you know, I, I'm one of those moms who frequently calls the pediatrician's office and go, hey, 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 you got anything yet? You got anything yet? When's it going to happen? Can I get it on the, like, can I go to put my name on the list to be part of the, the first round? And, uh, you know, it's just so exciting. We've been waiting for this. You know, of course, our everyone who can be vaccinated in our house is vaccinated. Um, and this, you know, this five and up won't hit everybody, but it'll hit most of them. And I'll tell you, it's a miracle. It's you know, going to keep kids out of the hospital. It's going to help us move towards, you know, immunity that's going to keep the most vulnerable among us safe. My kids will tell you the shiny silver lining around having to get a shot, which they don't love, is that they can finally go to Chuck E. Cheese again. <laughs> well, if that's not have told them, as soon as they've had, yeah, as soon as they've had both doses, we can go back to Chuck E. Cheese, and they remind us every time we drive by it. <laughs> so get the jab, so Autumn's kids can go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Absolutely, and can you take them? <laughs> Oh my goodness. But well, it is good news. And, you know, it's it's looking like more and more people. Zach had a, an article yesterday that mm -hmm. talked about that even since the last time they captured this data, that more parents have said, okay, yes, I will I will vaccinate my children. And that's very good news. And I think it has come from um, the Delta variant, yeah. bringing this thing a lot closer to some people than had been affected before. Yeah, agree 100%. Well, Autumn, uh, it appears that Mark Zuckerberg uh, tripped over a wire this week on Bless Facebook. Bless his little heart. <laughs> and unplugged Facebook uh, for about five hours. Uh, what'd you do during those five hours? Well, Mitch, I work. <laughs> It was awful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, being on social media, interacting, like watching what our partners are doing and uh, connecting with them is definitely part of our job. And it also happened to be Ingrid's birthday. So it was kind of sad because typically, you know, birthdays are a huge thing in our house. Mm -hmm. And her little post just didn't get very much love that day. Oh. But, but she, will, she will make it through, let me just tell you. <laughs> it was strange. You know, you felt 
yourself like going to those apps and you're like, no, it's still the same like post that I've seen. How did it affect you? You know, it was it was interesting because uh, it happened on Monday. We've got our staff call uh, Monday afternoon, and uh, I was asking. We were a lot more focused, <laughs> yeah. right, during the meeting. Suddenly, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, everybody was paying attention and had things laser, to say. Laser focus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was me. I thought uh, something had happened to my computer because uh, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp uh, were all down. Uh, but I have to admit. It was kind of nice. You know, there are moments uh, when I find myself uh, in meetings or in groups uh, and even in some locales when I'm uh, traveling where I just don't have a good Internet connection and therefore I don't have access to social media. And it's nice to be able to just kind of unplug for a while. Um, And uh, so it was a good reminder on Monday that, you know, I can get by without social media, uh, believe it or not. Yeah, I think it was a good pause. I, you said that earlier. It's just a good little pause. Um, it was a reminder to me to make sure that I didn't have anything on social media that I didn't have backed up. You know, I sort of use it as a um, a time capsule of photos of my kids and memories and things like that. And my first thought was, oh, my God, what if it's down forever? Like, how will I remember all these things that I've been posting? So it was sort of an emotional thing for me, too. Sure. Well, it's back up and running now, and so uh, as soon as you click off uh, this podcast, uh, I'm sure you'll be checking uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram. Uh, so, uh, but it was again, it was a nice pause. Well, Autumn, you and I sat down with Stephen Reeves and Elkit Rodriguez this week to talk about uh, Fellowship Southwest and their work at the border and immigration. It was a delightful conversation we had with them. Yeah, it was. And I also just want to give a quick uh, trigger warning to anyone who's a Longhorn fan that there is some <laughs> trash talking regarding a football game that's happening tomorrow. So. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, uh, you know, he, he may be a hook'em horn. And uh, of course, Autumn and I live here in the great metropolis of Norman, Oklahoma, where University of Oklahoma resides. So, uh, you know, we, we had to talk a little trash with him. We do. We know where our bread is buttered. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, we have a great conversation with them, so stay tuned. Uh, it's an interview that uh, you don't want to miss. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of The Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got two very special guests, one who is a returning guest from one of our very first episodes, almost 88 episodes ago. Stephen Reeves uh, was recently selected as the Fellowship Southwest Executive Director in March of 2021. Reeves, an attorney, has led the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Advocacy Program since 2013. Previously, he was Director of Public Policy for the Texas Baptist Christian Life Commission in Austin and Staff Attorney for the Washington-based Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty. Elka Rodriguez is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and Fellowship Southwest Immigrant and Refugee Missions and Advocacy Specialist. Rodriguez is an attorney with extensive experience in immigration law, specifically legalities at the U.S.-Mexico border. Rodriguez is also a native of Puerto Rico, living and practicing law in Harlingen, Texas. Stephen Elkett, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. It's great to be back. Thanks for having us. So It's a pleasure. It's an honor for me to be here. Now, forgive uh, Autumn Elkett, forgive me for just a moment, but I just got to get out of this. I got to get this out of the way. Reeves, it's OU Texas week. You're a Texas, Texas fan. Actually, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're north of the Red River, Stephen, and I'm an Aggie, so you're going to lose this one, 
teaming up on me, man. It is Texas over you. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, it is. yeah. So, um, who's going to win? Uh, I mean, I think winner goes to the SEC. Is that how this works? Come on, man, boys. Already. The water's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you can never predict Texas OU ever. You can throw the records out the window, but uh, I think the Horns have as good a shot this year as they've had in a while. And we and we've actually managed to win when we didn't think we had a shot recently. So. I'm uh, definitely going with my horns uh, on Saturday. All right. Well, you know, believe it or not, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Ooh. I do think uh, OU has not played well uh, in their first uh, several games. Uh, played okay, but uh, has certainly been inconsistent. And, and Texas has, I think, been more consistent. Uh, I am going to go with the Sooners, but uh, I think it's going to be close. Uh, I think uh, Rattler's going to throw a touchdown at the end, and uh, we're going to pull it out. Or our extraordinary, extraordinarily great kicker is going to kick a field goal to, to win at the end. Regardless, I plan on eating a corny dog and a funnel cake uh, just in honor of the Texas State Fair. So it uh, should be a good, good day. Plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we, you know, we played well except for that Arkansas game, and I thought I'd go ahead and bring up Arkansas just to remind Autumn that uh, they also got beat by the But as we were talking about before we started recording, our band always wins halftime, so that's really where my heart is. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to beat the well, core I'll band. give you that. Well, I want to talk to you two first uh, before we get into immigration issues, just about your positions with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Stephen, uh, we want to congratulate you on your new position as the new executive director for Fellowship Southwest. So tell us a little bit about your new position and your vision for Fellowship Southwest. Well, thanks, Mitch. I'm really excited about this new position, and, I, and I'm, I'm honored to also be able to overlap with our founding coordinator, Marv Knox, who's done incredible work since 2017, getting Fellowship Southwest off the ground. Uh, you know, I think uh, a few things make this uh, organization special. One, uh, it's ecumenical nature. Uh, this is a new thing for CBF Life to, have to support an organization like Fellowship Southwest that we're intentional about branching beyond uh, CBF type Baptists and beyond Baptists. And so I think my vision for Fellowship Southwest is is less about uh, denomination or convention or even you know shared theology or history and more about what can we as Christians agree that we ought to be doing in the world together. Mm. And so for me, uh, that is a focus on missions and advocacy, charity and justice meshed together. And the first thing that comes to mind for the Southwest is what's been going on on the border. Having the border uh, in our region is just uh, an, an incredible opportunity, as it is a challenge, it's an opportunity to put our faith into practice, to both, uh, both hands-on through missions and charitable ac actions, and by using our voices for advocacy. And so that's been the hallmark of Fellowship Southwest. That's not going to change, but I do think there's going to be, uh, we're going to lean into our ecumenical uh, side a lot in the future and, and, and bring together folks around uh, shared commitment on, on what they want to be doing in the world. And so uh, an, another aspect for the region is certainly uh, the Native American reservations. And I know that CBF Oklahoma and CBF West in particular have, have really done a lot of mission work on various reservations and have done partnerships with Native churches. And so I'm, I'm excited about that being a big part of our future uh, alongside our folks with uh, Together for Hope who have that as part of their, their region that they care about. And so that's, that's just a quick uh, look, but I'm, I'm very excited and happy to be leading this organization. I think there's a lot of promise out here. Well, that's exciting to hear. Congratulations, and we look forward to the future. Thanks, yes. Mitch. Elkett, you joined the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Network in March of 2020. I mean, what a month, right? Nothing else happened then, so the focus really on you. Um, as an immigrant refugee specialist, so could you tell us a little bit about your work since joining CBF? Yes, thank you, Autumn. Um, so uh, I'm kinda I kind of came with the pandemic. Well, not kind of. I came with the pandemic at the same time. So I was hired, and two weeks after, uh, everything was shut, and I had to stay in my home. So uh, that kind of changed, in a sense, right, uh, what I was going to do with Fellowship Southwest and CDF. Uh, I was going to be providing more uh, in-person uh, direct services to migrants at the border, but 
you know, at that time there were a lot of policies uh, and a lot of the, that did not allow for me to provide those services like right away. And there was pandemic. So a lot of the movements, let's say in the courts, uh, kind of uh, were uh, suspended, right? And so what that changed, what, what then I started doing was, uh, which is what I've been doing still to this day, is Fellowship Southwest built this relationship with uh, a network of eight pastors that work all throughout the border from Brownsville, Texas, to uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started building those relationships. And so I was hired in a sense as well to do a lot of advocacy. But what mm -hmm. better advocacy that, than not to just raise my voice, but the voice of those pastors and the voice of those migrants and asylum seekers that are coming to the border so we can get and grasp a little bit of their perspective and what they're suffering or going through. And mm -hmm. so uh, what I've been doing is writing a lot of their stories. Uh, and so uh, we developed, I developed this relationships with uh, these pastors who feed, shelter, transport, and protect migrants in one of the most dangerous cities or the most, one of them, one of them works in one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous cities in North America, which is Nuevo Laredo. And so we mm -hmm. lift up the, those stories that tell you not just uh, a little bit about immigration law, but at the same time, uh, how people are affected by our policies and, and so, and their realities. And so that's, that's exactly what I've tried to, to do in the past uh, year and a half with Fellowship Southwest. Excellent. Well, recent news reports regarding Haitian refugees have placed the spotlight once again at the southern border between the United States and Mexico. However, this has only added to the humanitarian crisis as I understand it. So before we talk about the Haitian refugees, let's get an update on previous refugees and immigrants at the border. Now, Stephen, you recently took a trip down to the southern border. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you saw and what you heard. You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, Elkett, Marv Knox and I were able to take a 10-day trip that spanned the entire border and meeting all eight of these uh, with these ministries and with others. And um, we were fortunate that it was sort of during the lull in the pandemic. So that was that was kind of nice in June. Um, but, you know, we saw some of what you've seen on the news. We saw tent cities in Tijuana where people are trying, they're just living there and to, to, with the hopes of getting an opportunity to, to present an asylum claim. We saw uh, shelters in Nuevo Laredo, where Pastor Lorenzo Ortiz um, actually has uh, kind of created a, a place of peace with the cartels that he can shelter folks, and they, the cartel won't mess with them. Um, You're a friend saw, of the podcast, too. We've, we've interviewed okay. him. Yeah, we've interviewed yeah. him. So, yeah, it's really incredible to say, you know, look, um, the, the cartels, there's kind of no stopping the cartels, but if you can at least protect some of the folks that he can protect. Um, that was a powerful thing to see, yeah. but we also saw folks who have been abused by the cartel that, that have arrived to him after abuse. Uh, I remember one place in particular where we walk into a room where there's probably 30 mostly women and children um, in the room, and he says, you know, raise your hand if you've been kidnapped, and over half of them have raised their hand. So those are some of the, the things that we saw, but we also saw, I saw how beautiful uh, Piedras Negras and uh, Eagle Pass is. The river is beautiful, the town is beautiful, and uh, Pastor Israel there is doing amazing work sheltering folks just outside of town. So um, we saw hardship, we saw, we saw beauty. Uh, two things struck me that, 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 that I want to mention in particular. One, we focus so much, I think, about um, what our policies do to the individual migrants, which we should, but for me, it was the realization that our policies are pushing the burden onto pastors and poor communities in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And that is another type of wrong. And so these mm -hmm. pastors, uh, one example, um, Pastor Juvenal in Tijuana, his church, uh, Iglesia Bautista de la Calle, the, the, the church of the street, Baptist church of the street, six days a week, he has folks waking up at like 4.30 in the morning to make breakfast for hundreds of folks living in tents under a bridge. That's incredible commitment, and it's beautiful and worth celebrating. And would the churches in, in, in America do that? Uh, would we also lift our voices and say, hey, we have the resources. We should be figuring out a way 
to take care of those folks. Uh, the second thing is I remember coming back from the border and seeing uh, basically nonsense online about how the Biden administration wants to re release COVID carrying migrants into the into the U.S. Well, we were in the shelter in Nuevo Laredo outside where most folks feel fairly safe from COVID. And they before we walked in, they asked us all to put our masks on because they have to present a negative test before they can make the next step towards an asylum process. And we watched as he, as uh, the pastor walked some families and some young folks over the bridge and had to show their cards with negative tests. And then in Tijuana, we we driving by a park and there was a line stretched for two blocks. And that was the line for the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So I saw more um, uh, conscientious COVID, um, uh, I guess, measures taken in Mexico than I do in Texas or the rest of the South. And so I just want to mention those two yeah. things as sort of realizations I had on that trip. Wow. wow. Stephen, you know, I, I recall my theological education. I don't ever remember, or maybe I just missed the day when uh, the class was taught how to negotiate with drug cartels. I just, I just can't <laughs> He's got, he, he is a courageous Christ follower. There's no other way to put it. And, um, and it, so he's been able to, to serve some folks who've gone through some serious trauma and keep them safe. Yeah. Man, they're doing some amazing things down there. Thank you for that report. That's great. Yes. So over the last year, the U.S. had a presidential transition. Uh, the former president implemented controversial rhetoric and policy toward immigration. The new president campaigned with a different message. Um, however, Elkett, has anything changed since President Biden took office? Yes, yes, some things have changed. And, okay. um, and, and so I just want to mention something. A lot of people say the border is open. Other groups say the border is closed. Well, it's not either open or closed. <laughs> uh, it's kind of in the middle, right? Uh, but uh, when, when President uh, Donald, when Trump was president of the U.S., the U.S. was implementing a policy called Migrant Protection Protocols, the MPP, which actually what what did was every migrant who wanted to seek asylum or a asylum seeker try to get in into the United States, uh, the U.S. would give them a court date inside the U.S., but then we would expel that person to Mexico and they would have to wait for their court cases uh, to show up at, at, to the port of entry so they can continue go to court, and then we would expel them back to Mexico. Well, that policy was totally uh, taken down by the Biden administration. Uh, and so we had about, um, there were between forty-five to 30,000 uh, asylum seekers in northern Mexico in, in, our di in different ports of entries from Matamoros to Tijuana, uh, Mexico. And all of those asylum seekers that were uh, that were uh, waiting for their court hearings were allowed to come in. So that's a big difference. Uh, yeah. I live, yeah, and I live in Harlingen, Texas, and I used to walk across uh, to Matamoros, Mexico, um, and so I used to. Uh, I don't know if you all saw on the news that big old tent camp that was there that had around ten thousand migrants. Well, that tent camp was. Uh, done in, in I think in in a week, every migrant was allowed to come in and can in, and continue their court cases inside the country. Uh, mm. But there is another policy that has been implemented all the way from the Trump administration until today, which is Title Forty Two. Title Forty Two is another policy that was implemented in March of 2020 uh, when the pandemic uh, began. Uh, that allows that that policy allows immigrant official immigrant officials in the U.S. to expel migrants, not just send them, give them a date to go to court. No, it's just to expel you back to northern Mexico uh, as quick as possible. And many of them were just processed in an hour and a half and and deported or not deported, expelled back to Mexico because they don't have uh, an adjudication in their merits. Right, that's why they're not. Uh, and so, but the problem that policy created when Trump was president was that a migrant used to come through a port of entry and the 
immigration officials would expel them back through another port of entry. That creates an issue because uh, to get across the U.S., you have to pay a cartel. And now you have to face another cartel. Uh, and sometimes there are warring cartels. And so they're going to ask you whether you're an informant from the other cartel or you are really an asylum seeker. So there's a lot of other, um, what I wanted to say is there's a lot of other considerations. They're not U.S. policy considerations, but are street issues that are happening in Mexico that we have to take into consideration. When, when Biden came in, uh, that policy of being returned through other ports of entries has kind of, has been implemented, but not as much. Uh, they're more conscious about this situation, but that policy is still being implemented. There's another thing that happened when Biden came into, into, into uh, became president. Uh, Title 42, when Trump was president, was used to be implemented on unaccompanied migrant children. So we're talking children mm -hmm. from whatever age, from 17 to five years old, year olds, that were being expelled. Biden said that's going to stop. If they're unaccompanied and they're children, we're going to allow them to come in. And that's what created, I don't know if you remember, back in, uh, in March, April, May, the, a lot of unaccompanied migrant children mm -hmm. uh, trying to get into the, U the United States. The other thing that, that uh, happened was the Biden administration began exempting from Title 42 uh, migrant families who had vulnerability issues. Normally, we're talking about moms, which mothers with children, with children, because the issues that they believe that if they expel them back to Mexico, which is true, they're going to be more vulnerable uh, to, to the situation, right, in, uh, in northern Mexico. So they're being accepting unaccompanied migrant children and vulnerable families uh, until this day. So that's those are the two main differences, yeah. right? Uh, when it comes to uh, policy-wise. Now, the migrant flow is another thing. Uh, people are saying, why are there coming more migrants right now? Because the president, is, they, they think the president is allowing them to come in. Well, that could be one thing. Another thing is people are being vaccinated. Uh, COVID is not as much of, of a scare, let's say, to a lot of yeah. migrants as it was back then. So right. that's, uh, that's, that's really changed a little bit. Yeah, let's step back for a second, because I've noticed in this conversation uh, the terminology that both of you have been using. And, um, you know, when we talk about uh, issues that we're talking about today, a lot of times uh, we use the terms refugees, asylum seekers. But I've noticed that you've been using the term migrant. And I want to talk a little bit about that from a 20,000-foot view, because over the last decade or so, I've been trying to make the argument that while we talk about immigration, we talk about what's going on in the world, the real issue at stake is we have a human migration uh, going on in the world like we've never seen it before, whether that's in Africa, whether that's in Europe, uh, the Middle East, South America, even here in North America. Right. We are seeing people on the move that is unprecedented within history. Um, with all of, because of climate change, because of wars, because of the lack of resources in underdeveloped countries, people are on the move. And when they're on the move and they locate to try to make a, a living for their families, to simply live, then they get stuck at places like the southern border of the United States and Mexico, which creates a humanitarian crisis. Would you agree in that assessment that what's going on at the U.S. border is really a microcosm of what's going on in the world? Absolutely, Mitch. I think you're 100% correct that um, multiple factors are causing um, migrants across the world. Um, and we are just one of many places where that's happening. I think that it's particularly acute because people can literally walk from Venezuela to our border. Some mm -hmm. of these countries that are having some of the worst internal problems, whether that's COVID, uh, political corruption, um, dictatorships, um, 
climate change, impact of climate change, wars, uh, uh, folks can get here. I would say what we learn is most folks would rather not. They'd rather have their home country be safe. Yeah. Uh, but but given the reality of their circumstance, they think it, it's a better idea to walk from South America to the U.S. than stay where they are. And that tells you the dire situation that they're in. So I think you're exactly right, Mitch. I think that um, climate change in particular is a global phenomenon that can so often lead to others. Obviously, it leads to hunger and famine. It leads to conflict over resources. Uh, I think this is a is going to be more and more of what we're seeing. And I'll just say a word about the terminology, and then if I mess it up, <laughs> Elka can clean it up a little bit. I use migrant as sort of an overarching term. That folks uh, folks on the move is when I what I say when I say migrant, asylum seekers, asylees, refugees, immigrants are more sort of legal terms of art or status for folks. And so, uh, you know, each of these folks that we call migrant might fit into any of those categories. But um, you know, a, an asylum seeker or asylee is someone who has the opportunity to come to the border of a country and present their case. Refugees have essentially already been vetted in a third party. Oftentimes they flee their home country, end up in a camp, and then are, they start the refugee process and kind of get vetted and approved to then come. Uh, immigrants to me uh, is kind of the end goal once, you, once you've kind of changed status and, and come to a new country. And so that's sort of how uh, we use the terminology. I know Marv uses refugee a lot because I think that does put in people's minds the type of situation folks are in. Refugees see people, are seen by most folks, as fleeing a dire situation. And I think that absolutely applies to most folks that mm -hmm. we are also calling migrants. Yeah. People who aren't in a dire situation don't just say like, hey, I'm going to walk to another country. Like, Seriously. clearly. I mean, With a they just wrap their head around it. Yes. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, I've said this, you know, we mentioned the Biden administration and, and I think that they've made some good progress. There's, we're continuing to push them on other things. But mm -hmm. I remember when Vice President uh, Harris went down to the, I think it was in Guatemala, and said, don't come. <laughs> I understand the need to try and <laughs> regulate this flow. I know it's a very taxing and complicated situation. But if one of my three children was already killed by a cartel, mm -hmm. I don't care what Justin Trudeau would say. I'm going to Canada. I'm going to be safe. I, I just think to, we have to, we've got a sincere fundamental lack of empathy on the part of a lot of folks in the US. And to put yourself in the shoes of someone that's coming, I don't care what any official says, I'm gonna do what it takes to protect my family. I yeah. agree. It, we got a privilege problem is what we have. I think that's part of it. We can't, we, we, we just are so far from, from that reality that it's hard to imagine what we would do. Yeah, we live in a bubble and the border is the place where the richest country in the world meets what's happening outside. I don't know if any of y'all saw the movie Elysium. I was thinking about that movie the other day, which is a movie where people are seeking <laughs> to get into a, a, a country that's rich and everybody else is not rich. And so that's what we're seeing. I mean, that was a futuristic view of what will happen with the world probably. I don't know if it was like in 100 years. Well, it's we're not going to have to wait to 100 years for mm -hmm. that to happen. And so, yeah, uh, outside of our borders, the world is des desperate. We saw that in, in Northern Mexico when, when we went to, um, to see uh, the work that our pastors did. But at the same time, every time you travel, uh, you see the effects of global warming. People don't understand how much global warming has changed the game uh, for agricultural workers who are not able to provide for their families, less pay what the cartels are telling them to, to pay right now because they have more control of their country because uh, of COVID, the government doesn't, I mean, they can't protect them. So they're in a very difficult and tough situation. They're not coming here because they want, is because they have to do something to survive. Yeah, well said. And, uh, you know, I agree with everything you said. I just, you know, Americans have forgotten their history or maybe have were never taught their the true nature of their history because this country was founded by individuals who were seeking a better life, whether they're fleeing religious persecution or in an attempt to uh, better their lives uh, outside of Europe.
um, people came over to the new world to, uh, to to get a new start. And believe it or not, and I can speak somewhat of authority since I'm a Skogie Creek, there were people here living <laughs> on the land, you know, and, and making a living. And all of a sudden, these visitors show up at the shores. Um, but the reality is, yeah, this, this country was founded by that. Absolutely. I, I just want to say, Mitch, I, I, uh, my undergraduate degree is in history, and I love history. Mm-hmm. And I always used to think that, you know, you know, we're bad at history. And I thought, well, maybe it's because everybody's from somewhere else. You know, maybe like, there's not that same tie. Most everybody, Mitch, is from somewhere <laughs> else. And then I thought, maybe we're purposely bad at history. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not very uh, mm-hmm. convenient or comfortable to take a deeper dive into history. And I just wanted to say that because I think you're exactly right. Uh, I just think that um, this this ignorance of history is in large part purposeful, and willfully. it's something that we it willfully and it needs to be uh, addressed uh, in in many different ways. And I hope maybe the church can be that place if people aren't getting it anywhere else. Right. And I'm I'm just going to add something. Not just is that um, we're forgetting about history. Is the fact that knowing the contributions of immigrants to mm-hmm. this country yes. is really what this country needs right now i mean that is what our economy needs right now workers mm-hmm. that is what uh, our nation needs right now diversity so in reality and i believe that the what has given the economical advantage if you want to say to the u.s obviously we have the second world war and we have another conversation about that but is the fact that a lot of people are coming in from the outside, working to set a better future for their families, for generations. Mm-hmm. And so that is right now what we have to get into, I mean, to get out of where we are right now. This country, we're not having uh, as many children as we did before. Um, and so migrants are want to come into the country and they don't want to come to sit down and get some money from the government. They all want to come to work, and they all want to come because they want to be a part of what is happening and to contribute to the country. Amen to that. Okay, so how is Fellowship Southwest continuing its ministries at the border, and what can people of good faith do to help? Well, thanks, Autumn. This network that's been built um, by Marv, Elkett, and, and Jorge Zapata in Texas is really incredible. It's responsive. Um, we're going to continue to support those ministries, and um, what we do primarily is feed, shelter, and protect. And so, depending on the ministry, the church, the pastor, what they're doing, we're supporting what they're doing by uh, you know paying rent for shelters, by buying food, by an occasion providing vehicles where they can transport folks to a safer place. Um, I anticipate that work continuing. Um, so first, you can you can pray for us and pray for the stamina of the pastors. I mean, these folks uh, work so hard and so long. We've actually, uh, I guess last year, we we paid for them to take a retreat because we knew they needed the rest (laughs) because they will not do it on their own without without something like that. And so pray pray for them and their families. There's been some serious family and church hardship that they've brought on uh, to do this sort of work. So, So pray for them. You can contribute to our funds. Uh, everything that we've done when it comes to the, our immigrant relief network has been because of the generosity of, of folks that read our stories that Elk gets written or, or see a video we've recently produced and, and give. So we certainly need funds to keep that up. Um, our hope all along, too, was that as churches want to come see and, and meet folks and do some uh, hands-on work, some labor, that they would have that opportunity, and in, in so doing, they would uh, not only uh, help whatever ministry there they are there, but they would meet Elkett, he, he would talk to them about policy and advocacy and how that can be a voice. So, you know, I hope the future, in, in part, is, is post-COVID, uh, so that we can also engage more folks directly in, in this work. Mm. Great. Yeah. I would add that advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, if... Everybody has a voice in this country, right? And those migrants need your voice. Mm. They need our voice. They need someone that is willing to defend them or advocate for them. 
so that we can implement um, more humane policies, uh, not just for them, but for those that are going to come eventually. Uh, and that we can do all the time. We need to advocate for immigration reform, uh, a reform of a system that was supposed when, when the last law that was made, the purpose of the last law that was made into the U.S. was to stop a lot of migrants from arriving. Well, it's not working. <laughs> we implemented Title 42 uh, to stop migrants from arriving. Well, it's not stopping it, this. So we need to reform our system so that um, we cannot just be humane to migrants that are arriving, um, provide uh, asylum or refuge for those that are fleeing persecution, but at the same time, to provide the workers that our economy needs, mm -hmm. to provide yeah. uh, the citizens that our rural areas need as well, the revitalization of those areas. So uh, what I don't, what I think it's happening is that people don't understand how meaningful immigration reform is to the future of our country and to the future as well of the of our neighboring countries. Um, mm -hmm. And so I want people to understand that. And the only way we can deal with all of this is if we work on comprehensive, and I'm not using this word in the political way, comprehensive immigration reform. And we have a voice and we can advocate for it. I want to jump on and piggyback on that. Okay, uh, you know the question I've been asked many times is, okay, so what's the solution? Mm -hmm. And I think there's two big things. One of them we control, and one of them we have less control. And the first is what Elkett just said: that we massive immigration reform, systemic wide immigration reform. And the most important aspect for me would be uh, a um, a legal pathway that's attainable, that mm -hmm. that 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 people can can more uh, easily who want to come work and do what our nation needs to be done when it comes to the economy can figure out a way here. You know, people often say, why don't they just come the legal way? Well, that's 10 or 20 years in some places, the legal way. It's either non-existent or it's decades away. Right. So that is, is, is a huge part of that. What we're doing right now on the border, Title 42, MPP, what the pastors are doing, this is triage. Mm -hmm. We have exactly. to get a, where we are not in triage mode where we have a, a, a well-funded, um, supported, and reasonable system that folks who, who are fleeing desperate situations and who want to contribute can figure out a way here other than just walking to the border. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that we have less control over is to improve the conditions in those countries. Mm -hmm. right. If folks didn't want to leave and they had a, a, a functioning government, they had uh, food, they had protection from cartels. They had uh, uh, folks uh, that that supported them in their own community. That's the ultimate solution, and that is what's more difficult for the U.S. Given our history of uh, of uh, inserting ourselves into the politics of Central and South sure. America, and, and that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I hope that you know clearly that the, the this administration recognizes that there's challenges there. But they also have gone and, and said, we want to invest. And so to the extent that the U.S. can do things to improve the conditions in the country, that's the other key thing in my mind. Thank you so much for being with us this week on Good Faith Weekly. You can find out more about their work at fellowshipsouthwest.org. Make certain to log on and find out uh, all the great work that they and their colleagues are doing. And uh, you can also donate to, to this incredible work because the pastors down by the border, as you have heard today, are just, they're walking saints. They are walking saints and doing the Lord's work down there, and, and we want to support that. So, But before we let you both go uh, into this OU Texas weekend, uh, Autumn has one more uh, one more question for you. I do. Alcat, I'm going to let you go first since you've never answered this question before. And then Stephen Reeves, you were actually the first guest ever to answer this question, so you better have a good one. No pressure. All right. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation and the situation at the border, what is your more to tell? What is there more to tell? Oh, my goodness. Why don't just Steven goes first for me? <laughs> oh, you're just going to give, you're going to launch him the softball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, more to tell. Well, I do believe that 
we need to understand that when we see migrants and and when we see refugees, uh, I think, and I wrote an article on this, but uh, I think when I was in Fellowship Southwest strip all over, all across the border, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, look at them, look at their dignity. That's me. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, what they are seeking whenever they talk to you, um, and I think that's what God wants us to at the same time recognize. They want, they want us to see their dignity. I have an inherent dignity. And I think that God wants us to see their dignity, to mm -hmm. see him in them. Um, mm -hmm. I remember God telling me, look at me. Look at me. Look at me in that girl. Look at me in that abused woman. Look at me in that father who is fleeing persecution because he wants to protect his family. Um, and I think if there's something more to tell people is to look at God when we look at uh, the most vulnerable among us. Well said. It's beautiful. Amen. Now you're going to make me follow that. <laughs> we can just all sing and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Right? Right. We can do that. You really teed us up for that one. <laughs> So I have two more details. One of them is very simple, and I'll just mention, Mitch, that um, when folks go on the website, they can sign up for our newsletter, which good, comes yeah. every week. And that's, that is a very good way, usually on Thursday morning, to keep, to keep up to date with, with what we're doing and certainly what the pastors and, and, and what's going on at the border. The second thing I would say is that I know that churches, many churches are struggling. Uh, some of them were struggling before the pandemic. Everyone has had a hard time after the pandemic. And I know a lot of people are sort of um, lamenting the decline in churches in the U.S. And I believe that the solution to that is not inside the church, but outside the church. Mm. That, that if I firmly believe if you want to um, find energy, spirit, other folks, uh, you want to... Um, grow interest you want to display the type of love that draws people to church get outside the church and do work like we're doing at fellowship Southwest. i love that well Stephen elka thank you so much uh, for being with us this week we wish you the absolute very best our prayers are with you our support is with you and please tell every pastor down at the border that we admire them and we respect them and uh, hopefully churches are going to step up and start working with them and supporting their work down there because they're just doing incredible work. So thank you, sirs. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Autumn. Thanks, Mitch. Well, to our listeners, Thanks. we want to thank you for joining us uh, this week on Good Faith Weekly. Appreciate uh, each and every week that you tune in to this podcast. Until next time, we want to remember to encourage you to keep living good faith. And one last thing, Boomer Sooner. <laughs> it's like he thinks he's a boss or something and he can get away with that. <laughs>